Welcome to Driving Forces here on WBAI, 99.5 FM New York, and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz, and I'm here every Thursday at 5 with my dreamy radio partner, Jeff Simmons. (laughs) Jeff, how you doing today? Good afternoon, Celeste. (laughs) Good show for you guys today. Glad you can be with us. We have some great guests coming up, uh, some familiar faces, uh, familiar voices, I should say, that are going to be talking about a lot of things, not only in national, but in local politics, stuff that's really been on people's minds a lot today. First, we're going to have Congressman Peter King talking about the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund, a lot of controversy going on around that, certainly especially since that blow up by Jon Stewart at that congressional Mm -hmm. hearing. And then we have the uh, freshly out of court public advocate, Jumani Williams, who has been doing a lot around the issue of the the exonerated, want to emphasize that, Mm -hmm. Central Park Five. And as far as other issues we thought we might be talking about today, but uh, the decision did not, or the opinion was not issued, we are anxiously awaiting what the U.S. Supreme Court is going to uh, say about the citizenship question. Uh, Will it be contained in the 2020 census? So that's something also I'm really curious what our listeners uh, think on this. In the second half hour after we finish with the public advocate, we are going to take your calls. So we want you to write down this number if you're new to BAI, but if you've been listening to us for a while, you already know it, but here it is. The listener call-in number is 212-209-2877. We want to know what you think of the uh, Central Park Five. About if you've also watched the uh, the film on uh, Netflix, right, right. There's that's certainly been uh, something. Was it Ava uh, DuVernay? Uh, yes. That, is yes. That, am I saying that correctly? I hope so. But uh, yeah, certainly something that when they see uh, us. Yes, very big deal. And this is something, obviously, the president has spoken about Mm -hmm. recently. I believe he made one of his uh, there are people on both sides of the issue type comments here. I am not going to put words in the mouth of a public advocate, but I'm pretty sure he is not going to agree with the president on this one. No, and there's uh, there's been a rally. There's been calls for the uh, Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance to uh, investigate all of the earlier cases that were handled by the former uh, assistant prosecutor. Right, right, absolutely. The uh, the woman who was chief of the sex crimes unit from I believe 1976 to about 2002. Um, Jumani Williams has also asked that. Uh, the attorney who was directly involved in prosecuting that case, Elizabeth Letterer, be dismissed. Uh, Cy Vance has said that he is not going to do that. He has uh, sort of encouraged uh, people to to get involved in talking about promoting a program called the Conviction Integrity Program that his office offers, kind of wants to move on from this. So we will see if that's going to be good enough for the public advocate and for the people of New York. But uh, for for right now, certainly something that we very much expect uh, you guys to have an opinion on. And, you know, what's so interesting is how even... uh you know, even the Central Park Five case, how it has impacted the uh, the district attorney's race that is going on in Queens that we have followed here extensively on driving forces. This special election, Democratic primary, 
uh, is coming up on Tuesday, this next Tuesday. Seven candidates. We've wow. seen a lot of movement in the last few days. Uh, some big endorsements happening. Yeah, and some and some controversy there. Some uh, some fireworks in the Queens DA race. A statement that we tweeted out that Jeff showed me and that we tweeted out yesterday from uh, Congressman Gregory Meeks, who's the chairman now of the Queens Democratic Party, coming out pretty forcefully, not only in in favor of Melinda Katz, no relation to me, as I always have to <laughs> have that asterisk in there, uh, uh, as the as the candidate of his choice, but also for going directly after two presidential candidates, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, both senators who are uh, hoping to become the Democratic nominee for president, going after them directly by name for jumping into this race and having some very, very pointed comments this week about basically how they should keep their noses out of it. And this race has been incredible to watch the momentum that Tiffany Caban has had. Yeah. Uh, you know, Melinda Katz, uh, who I've known for years, has had a lot of institutional support. Right. Um, you mentioned I, a, one of the endorsements just now. Uh, one of the earlier, I think, uh, Congressman Joe Crowley, you said? Had... Cra Crowley just issued, a, a sent out an email right. uh, earlier today uh, showing support for her. Uh, at the same time, Tiffany Caban got the coveted New York Times endorsement. Question is, will that be relevant in this race? Yeah, always the always the question now, and I think increasingly so. Uh, the Times, uh, the Daily News, the New York Post, how much do these newspaper endorsements matter? in these kinds of contests. And again, when you have these sort of off-time contests, special elections and so on, in this case to replace uh, longtime Queens DA Brown, how many people are gonna show up and vote? Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Also, think about the week that is. It's a week before we get into July 4th week. Right. School ends. Now, you and I are much older, I don't, and we don't have kids, so well, I you're think school, you're, you're much older. school's about to be out. <laughs> <laughs> school's about to be out next next week, I believe. Is yeah, it's coming right up. So. Are people going to be focused on this? Also, I always, having worked on campaigns, you wonder about the weather. Sure. Because if this rain and, you know. Oh, my God. I was going to use one of these words we're not supposed to use. Don't use those but words. if this miserable weather continues next week, Very next good. Tuesday, you don't know if this is going to suppress turnout. And, who and that for benefits. some people, that might be good. Uh, for some people, that might be, uh, they might be literally praying that the weather is lousy and that fewer people show up. So I think we are ready, right? Okay, so we are actually going to go right on and pick up a very, very important topic with our first guest here. That's Congressman Peter King. He is in his 14th term in the United States House of Representatives, uh, reelected in November 2018. His district includes parts of both Nassau and Suffolk counties in Long Island, Hempstead, Oyster Bay, Babylon, Islip. He's a member of the Homeland Security Committee, ranking member of the Subcommittee on Emergency Preparedness, also on the Financial Services Committee. And Congressman King was chairman repeatedly, actually, of the uh, House Homeland Security Committee. And he's been really a leader, very outspoken on a lot of these issues, including what we're going to take up today, which is the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund. So, Congressman King, welcome to the program. Great to be with you. Thank you. So maybe you can just start us off by telling us, where are we right now with compensation for 9-11 responders and their families? Where do we stand? Yeah, there's two parts. One is on the 9-11 health care, and that is fully funded, and that's going to last until 2090, which should be obviously enough time for everyone. So the health care part of it is taken care of. The other part is the victim's compensation. This is the money which goes to a... Uh, person who has to leave his job is disabled, and then if they die, um, 
money goes to their family. It's based roughly on the earnings that they've lost because of the illness. And uh, I've had a number of people who uh, their concern is not so much themselves, but they are still in the prime of life and they're, they're good years ahead of them and they're going to die and they're afraid they're going to die and they're very concerned about their families. Now, we thought there was enough money in there. It was last uh, extended in 2015 for five years and doctors believe that there was enough money in there to uh, meet all the obligations. Well, it turns out that there are a, many more people coming down with 9-11 cancers in the last several years than uh, was anticipated. These, it turned out, these are unusual cancers. Many of them, they've been dormant, they've been latent, they were not detected prior to now, and it's a really a rapid increase in the last two or three years. And that's why the fund is running out of money. This is on the compensation to families and to uh, uh, workers who, are, who can no longer work. Uh, and so their uh, numbers have been reduced by 50 to 70 percent. So we have to get that taken care of. And rather than going through this every five-year routine on the victim's compensation, we want that extended also to 2090. Because I have found that it's not just the actual out-of-pocket loss. And it's not even just the health care per se that uh, causes the aggravation or the uh, but it's the uncertainty, not knowing if the family is going to be taken care of, not knowing if you're going to be able to pay your bills. So let's remove that. It's bad enough people coming down with cancer without having to worry about whether or not their family is going to be compensated. Get that off the table so they, you know, they don't have to worry about it because often psychology has a lot to play uh, as far as recovery or keeping somebody alive. And Congressman, before we get into the sort of the political aspects of why this is, why this has become an issue in Washington. These are people that you've been dealing with personally for a long time. You know these families. Jeff and I uh, both were reporters who covered 9-11 that day and so on. What are you hearing from people personally about how this is affecting their ability to deal with their their daily lives? Well, I've uh, known several people right now who, uh, uh, first of all, you know, those who became sick and they're going through the program, they're getting treated, uh, a number of them are going to die anyway. I hate to say that, but at least they're getting the health care. They've been kept alive. And uh, a number of actually, the, you know, the illnesses have been stopped. They've been treated in time. And so it's been tremendously helpful that way. As far as the compensation aspect, I've gotten calls from a number of people, including, by the way, reporters who are getting sick. I'm not their names, but they were down there also in the days, weeks, and months after 9-11. And now they're coming down with cancers. I was talking to one reporter who just finished chemotherapy. And what he's concerned about is that he's still a young person. And uh, if he should die tomorrow or next week or become disabled and can't work, his family will be out of money. And he wants to make sure they're compensated. So this is hanging over them. It's there. It's a, yeah. So it's bad enough to be diagnosed with cancer. It's bad enough to have to go through chemotherapy and be hoping for the best. But on top of that, to be wondering what's going to happen to your family, to have this uncertainty that's out there. And that's, that's really what we, you know, what we have to overcome. We have to get that money uh, authorized and appropriated. And one of the sad uh, things that have happened in the last week, from what I had just read earlier today, uh, was that one of the people who had testified, NYPD Detective Luis Alvarez, uh, mm-hmm. was uh, put in hospice the day after yeah. his testimony. Yeah, my office has been working with Lou uh, in the hospice, making you know, trying to... Uh, help him and his family with certain arrangements. Uh, he is a true hero. And I know it's a term we use, we throw it around too often, 
it really applies in Lewis' case. He's a combat veteran. He was a detective in the bomb squad in uh, New York. He was down there for months and months and months after 9-11. And here's a case where he uh, was not diagnosed with cancer until three years ago. He has a liver cancer directly attributable to 9-11, and uh, he had gone through 69 chemotherapy treatments. I was with him in February, and I was just looking at the picture yesterday, uh, the picture of that was taken in February, and the picture was taken last week when he testified. It's like two totally different people. Even though he had had the cancer for three years, back in February, he still looked reasonably healthy. He wouldn't have known, certainly, that he had cancer. Now he's just uh, a shell of what he was before. His spirit is himself. His mind isn't strong, but physically he's just been beaten down. And that's just the, uh, and so he's, uh, his uh, liver has stopped functioning, and uh, they couldn't do the chemotherapy. He was becoming disoriented, and the, uh, with the liver uh, not working, not functioning at all, just all these poisonous enzymes are going through his system. So I hate to say it, but it's really only a matter of time. He's in a hospice. He sends out messages saying that he's a peace with himself. He's, uh, his... Uh, uh, really, what's uh, all he's done now is rest, and uh, he would give an interview because uh, he said he wants to know that he did all he could for other 9-11 victims. So people like you and Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, of course, who's been going around wearing her firefighter's jacket until this gets resolved. This is something that you've been championing for years. This is something that a lot of us here in the city certainly have been focused on, whether we're directly affected by it, no people who are. But a lot of people around the country have only been paying attention to it recently when Jon Stewart, a, a television personality, frankly, a comedian, got mm-hmm. upset at a congressional hearing. How does that make you feel that it takes something like that for people to remember how many people are suffering still to this day because of 9-11 and the fact that the money to help them is disappearing? Yeah, you know, first of all, let me just say, John Stewart has been phenomenal. Uh, you saw him at the hearing last week, yeah. and people saw him. But I can tell you he's done as many, if not more, things off screen, uh, which no one knows about. He is so dedicated. This isn't a show business celebrity coming in to get a headline. John has been absolutely phenomenal going back to 2010 when we really had to fight hard to get it through initially. And he was terrific then. He's terrific now. And he's really, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of issues that John and I wouldn't agree on, but I, I, there's nobody I have more admiration for than John Stewart, seeing what he's done on this. Uh, and again, uh, it, was, it was high profile last week. For the most part, it's behind the scenes. Now, what is it? Uh, it's 18 years since uh, 9-11. To many people, it's like Pearl Harbor or Gettysburg. It's something that's in the past. Uh, if you think it's bad now, it's actually easier than it was. In, uh, it took us, uh, Carol Maloney, Jerry Nadal, and I, from 2005, 2006 to 2010, before we finally got the first uh, 9-11 health care bill through. There was so much opposition. People thinking it was some kind of a New York scheme. It was a bunch of union guys in New York getting some shop lawyers to swindle money out of the federal government. It's another scheme by New York. That's why it was, it was horrible to hear this stuff. Even on the debate on the House floor, the bill was named after uh, James Nadroga. This is back in 2010. He's the first... Uh, first responder that was known to have died from a 9-11 illness. The bill was named after him. His family was sitting in the, gall- in the gallery during the debate. And during the debate, people on the floor were criticizing Zadroga, saying he really hadn't been there enough. He really didn't die from 9-11 illness. So that's what we had to overcome then. And it was both Republicans and Democrats. Republicans were blocking it, but Democrats were afraid to bring it to a vote. And I give Nancy Pelosi credit 
It was the last bill on the last day of the Congress in 2010 that we finally got it through, and we had to call people back from the airport to make sure we had enough people to vote for. That was 2010. We went through it again in 2015. This year, it's actually been easier or less difficult, I should say. We have over 320 co-sponsors now. There's no real opposition yet. But it's just, I think people think 9-11 is behind them. It's something they, every year on September 11th, they see a documentary, they see film of that day, and they don't realize that more people will have died since 9-11 than actually died on 9-11 itself. And that's the reality. And uh, maybe it's human nature. I think it's terrible, to be honest with you. And I would like to think that if this had happened in Hawaii or North Dakota or uh, Oregon, I would feel just as badly. It happened in New York, and, you know, we have friends and neighbors and uh, associates and uh, really good friends in some cases uh, who were killed that day. So maybe it hits home more with us, but I would like to think that uh, no matter where it happened in the country, these were Americans that were killed. Also, it turns out that I think out of 435 congressional districts, 434 have people sick from 9-11. They were there. These are people who either were working there, who were traveling there, or volunteers to serve with the police and fire service. So, Congressman, uh, let's talk about Mitch McConnell for a second. The Senate majority, yeah. the Senate majority leader, had basically said he didn't know why John Stewart, John Stewart, was all bent out of shape over 9/11 right. compensation. How seriously do you think McConnell takes this? Uh, probably not seriously enough, which is why we have to keep the pressure on him. For instance, he says, you know, don't worry, it's going to get done. Well, first of all, you don't know that until it's done. But secondly, uh, every day that goes by without it being done. Uh, 9-11 families and 9-11 victims are losing money because the, the master of the fund, and by the way, the fund has been administered terrifically. There's not one allegation of fraud or corruption or waste at all. Uh, the administrators had to cut the uh, awards by 50 to 70 percent. And uh, so people are losing money. And these are people who, uh, again, many of them in the time of life, and now they're hit with, uh, with this of being disabled, not being able to work and uh, losing their income. And uh, so it's not to say, okay, someday it's going to get done. Don't worry about it. It should should have been done yesterday, number one. Number two, uh, I just don't think uh, Senator McConnell, and I don't want to get him too aggravated now because I want to make sure the bill goes through. But the fact is that I don't think that he realizes the intensity of this, doesn't uh, realize how real this is. That's why having someone like Lou Alvarez, testify the way he did last week, and then have him followed by John Stewart. And by the way, that was unscripted. That was not planned that way. Uh, I, nobody knew until that day, not nobody, most people didn't know. I didn't know, and I, I'd known Lou, and I'd seen him until that day, just how sick he was. I walked into the witness room before the hearing. I went back, and I saw him sitting there. I wasn't even sure if it was him. I thought maybe it was some other guy. That's how, that's how sick he is, how different he looks. And then so I had to have him go. Uh, testify and be so phenomenal. And then right after that, I think, I don't know if John Stewart intended to be as emotional as he was, but I think after listening to uh, Lou Alvarez, who he also knows very well, that just set John off. It was great. I mean, it was absolutely great that he did it, but uh, it's very disappointing. Even in New York, you find some people who don't, they say, oh, is that someone that wasn't taken care of? Or is that all worked? And how come they're getting sick now? You know, stuff like that. It's just very depressing, and that's why it's up to people in positions of importance. I mean, I've made, I don't know how many speeches on this phone and how many shows, but the fact is, if you get a guy like John Stewart out there, that's who people listen to. And uh, we had a big rally at uh, Ground Zero just 10 days ago. We had a good turnout for that. 
Uh, and all that helps. But again, if you can get the, uh, you know, the, the real electric charge that we got from John Stewart, that's what's going to be helpful. And you know, your listeners hear it and get it out and talk to friends of their friends outside New York, even to make sure the energy stays and the drivers there. And uh, again, I said going back to between 20, 2007, 2010, when we couldn't get it through, it was very frustrating to hear when Republicans who didn't want to get it done because they thought it was a phony, or the Democrats who said they believed in it, but didn't want to uh, risk the political capital of going for it, because they were afraid they would lose some swing districts around the country. I just, I'm not saying I'm a saint or a Boy Scout or anything else, but there were some issues that you say, the hell with politics. I mean, these are people who are dying, literally dying in front of you, and uh, you, know, you know, let them die because you're afraid that somebody may lose a vote somewhere. It's, to me, indefensible. You're listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, and we're talking to Congressman Peter King about 9-11 Victims' Compensation Fund and the fate of that funding in Washington. And Congressman, just as you say, I mean, the idea of people making either making this political or sort of not really getting to the root of the problem. I, I understand that John Stewart, by the way, is not a newcomer to this issue, certainly. But I think a lot of people really saw how emotional he got. And he, yeah. you know, whatever attracts attention to the issue, I, I can see why, you know, you would definitely want that. I just, I want to ask you, I know even people like say in your own party, a guy like Lindsey Graham, who, who might be one of the guys in the Senate who's, who's asking questions about this. You know, people like Chuck Grassley are asking questions like, can we limit the cost of this thing? Can we limit how long the program goes on? How, how is it possible to justify that position, I guess? Uh, I guess you know, they're looking at it from the budget aspect. But to me, uh, you know, there's dollars and cents on one hand, there's human lives on the other. We can always find the money to pay for something if we have to. And this is something we have to do. And I'm not being cavalier about spending taxpayers' money, but to me, taxpayers and Americans have an obligation to to all we can to secure the lives, whatever lives are left for these uh, heroes from 9-11. And, uh, you know, we say extended 70 years. It's not like you're giving 70 years of benefits. Most people, are, first of all, the pool of people that can be affected by this gets smaller every year because people are dying off. And uh, also, it's just, uh, we know it's a limited universe of people, so it's not like we're opening it up to the whole world. Well, this is only going to be open to people who were at ground zero and will have mer- medical certification that their illness was caused by their work at ground zero. You can't walk in off the street and say, I was walking down Lower Broadway one day, and I think I got 9-11 illness. You have to show when you were there, document it, and you have to be on the list of uh, illnesses that are attributable to 9-11. I've had People call me, I mean, constituents of mine, who have been denied 9-11 health care benefits because they could not trace the illness of 9-11. Now, I wish they had gotten it, but I understand that. They want to keep the program entirely honest and scrupulous. These are doctors. They're good doctors. They're good administrators. They want to make sure that those who need the money get it. So this is a well-run fund. So when Lindsey Graham and Chuck Grassley worry about it's not like an open-ended program where anybody can walk up the street and get benefits. You have to be have been at 9-11. And that's a, uh, at uh, ground zero in the days, weeks, and months after 9-11. That's a limited universe of people. Unfortunately, more and more people within that universe are dying. I have to uh, I have to go there on this. I know this may not be politically a super comfortable question for you, but New York should have a friend in the Oval Office, somebody who is familiar with 9-11, somebody who's familiar with what happened right. here, who was present when it happened here. What is the president doing for us? 
No, I have not asked the president. We're assuming he's going to say yes. The reason I'm saying that is I'm not going to anyone who I'm not certain is going to be for it until we get it done. Like in House of Representatives, uh, you know, we're going around, we're getting co-sponsors of the bill. We got it up to 330, 340, which is more than we need to pass it and to uh, override a veto if that should happen. We didn't go to people who we thought might be against it because we don't want to give them a forum to start getting talk radio going and getting social media going. And so I, I am not sending to the president because I don't want someone to overhear something and leak out some kind of division, and that could cause... Uh, I, I want to wait till we get the votes done before we go to him. And I'd say, again, I have, I'm, I'm hopeful and confident that he would approve it, but I'm not... Uh, it's like, you know, the first thing you teach in law school is don't ask a question at a trial unless you know what the answer is going to be. And uh, so I'm going to wait and I'm going to wait until we pass yeah. the House and the Senate before we, we move there. I certainly I, pre- I appreciate your caution. And I certainly you are you're certainly familiar with with the machinations of Washington and getting legislation done. I just figured I had to ask because look, oh, no, I mean, we, have, we have a New Yorker. We have we have a guy from a guy from Manhattan, originally Absolutely. from Queens, but from Manhattan in the White House. The president, the leader of the free world is a guy who was there when 9-11 happened. Like maybe we could get some help on this. I agree with you 100%, and there's no excuse if he doesn't support it. I'm just saying that tactically, I'm, I'm not pushing that right now, but I'll be the first and the loudest to criticize if the time comes and he says he's not going to support it, believe me. Congressman but Pete- I don't expect that. Let me just make it clear. I don't expect that. Congressman Peter King, how can our listeners learn more about you and your work? Uh, they can go to, uh, I'm, I'm on Facebook. Uh, uh, it's... Uh, Facebook, I have a website, they can follow me. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm on television quite a bit. I try to do as many interviews as I can to get out of the bubble of uh, Washington. And uh, on Facebook, I have uh, basically, uh, I have a government Facebook page, which is uh, at Congressman Pete King. And my campaign Facebook uh, post is at Pete King for Congress. And we have you at, at Rep Pete King on Twitter as well if people want to follow you and your yes, work there. Right. Great. Congressman Peter King, thank you so much for being with us and for working on this issue and talking about it today here on WBAI. You're very welcome. Thank you. And really, thanks for keeping this issue alive because we want to keep the people alive. We will. So you've been listening to uh, Congressman Peter King here on WBAI, New York 99.5 FM. This is Driving Forces. I'm Jeff Simmons and joined by my amazing co-host, Celeste Katz. Hello, and we are going to have another guest coming up very shortly. That is uh, also, I think we're going to ask a little bit about about the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund, but also talk to him about a separate matter. He's been pretty busy today. I think we were working on uh, getting him our, our heroic engineer. James is working on getting him on the phone. That would be public advocate Jamani Williams. And uh, he has been busy uh, actually with a little bit of a court appearance today. So we have him. Okay, awesome. So uh, welcome to the show, Jumani. Thank you so much for joining me, Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz here on WBAI. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. So give us an update. What happened in court today? Uh, all of us got uh, ACDs, basically adjudication with the contemplation of dismissal 
if you stay out of trouble for six months, but with activists, that sometimes is hard to do. I was going to say, are you going to stay out of trouble for six months, public advocate? Let's see how we do. So maybe take us back. Uh, we were talking about about what you've been doing on the Central Park Five issue a little bit before you came on the program. But for people who are just maybe joining us right now, fill people in. And I did want to ask you also what you thought about what the president had to say about the Central Park Five this week. You know, there's, there's no surprise anymore about this president, who he is, who he stands for, what he thinks. Um, the scariest part is that given all of that, even given the buffoonery we see and how he's treated across the globe, and he doesn't even have the capability to run the cabinet to do the managerial part of the job, the scarier part is the millions of people that still continue to support him, as far as I'm concerned, and the leaders and the, and the Congress people who are, you would think, much more intelligent, uh, smarter than him. And you see people like him and Bill Bratton uh, tweeted out, saying he wasn't surprised to see myself and, in his words, my posse vigilante coming out. Uh, you see all these dog whistles and codes coming out, the type of things that all of us said were there all along. So while it's disturbing, it's not surprising. Um, I do want to shout out Ava DuVernay for what she did. I think a lot of us <clears throat> kind of knew the story, especially those of us who were around, but the humanization of what actually happened was just extremely powerful. Uh, those young men, uh, uh, Antron, Youssef, Keith, and Raymond, and, and Corey. Corey, I see so frequently at National National Network, never knew what he went through. He's a superhuman, uh, as far as I uh, can see right now. But the frustrating part with Side Vance is that there were several demands that were asked. I think, you know, I still believe that Elizabeth Lederer should be fired, but I understand that may take a little bit of time and thought. The part that was most disturbing to me is it is the simplest one. The, the ask that says we should review all of the cases that Linda Fairstein oversaw, especially those where there was no DNA evidence from the advent of that technology. That, to me, is the simplest ask based on what everybody saw in this movie, but saw in the Ken Burns documentary, heard from these children and from their parents, and from the fact that it was vacated. It is not enough to say, yes, this should be vacated, and then pretend like nothing wrong happened and there's no reason, no probable cause to even look into these cases. That, to me, is particularly disturbing from Cy Vance, and it really shows uh, what happens when they see it. And perhaps he's now part of the problem we have talked about for quite some time. And, in fact, that's where I was going. Why do you think he's remaining firmly against this? I, you know, you have to ask him. I think the system as a whole and whoever's in it has a tough time uh, really acknowledging. You know, $41 million is not justice. Even when given that $41 million, the city itself did not claim any responsibility. No one has said sorry, and no one has said something wrong happened. And this doesn't make sense. I think maybe there's still some people who believe, as the president has said before, or other people have said that they did something. Um, and I, I, it's really astonishing to me, based on who Saivan, uh, the man DA, said that he was. It's, it's just really surprising. And I've heard people say, uh, when I asked about this, who didn't agree, you know, that Linda Fairstein, oh, she did so much good work uh, for um, rape as a crime and for rape survivors. And I say that is can exist 
at the same time as the need for accountability. And I liken it oftentimes to R. Kelly, who made amazing music that we listened to, but still deserves to be held into account for what he did to these women and girls. And if it's good for one community, I don't understand why it's not good for another. So one of the responses that the district attorney had to your request was to say that he would hope that you would instead help him publicize what's called his office's conviction integrity program. I, I, I don't know what you think of, of his sort uh, of sticking his hand out to you that way. I think it was um, disingenuous at best. Uh, there is nothing to bring over to the conviction integrity unit because we have no cases. And we believe it's the DA's responsibility to sanction and say, yes, we will review these cases. If he wants to join in and say, I'm going to hand this over to the Conviction Integrity Unit and tell them to review the cases, that's something else. You don't get to absolve yourself of this duty because you know the nefarious thing, because she has worked for you before. She's donated $28,000 or, or, or more when you count on people who know her to your campaign. You have to make sure that women, black and brown, residents of Manhattan, and all of Manhattanites can feel comfortable that justice will be meted out. And if it's not, someone will say, you know what, we have to correct this. The fact is now we have enough to believe that there may be other people innocent in, in prison right now, and we have a duty to review it. When Ken Thompson came into uh, Brooklyn as a DA, and he started his review. So many of the people who were exonerated and innocent came from one police officer who had a history of doing things that were not right. And if you can find that from one police officer, how much more might you be able to find from a DA who may have a, a good track record, but has another record of creating facts, uh, looking at facts that don't lead one way and forcing them and melding them to fit into a situation with some young boys uh, who we all know went through horrors. Not to mention Miss Mealy, who was the victim or survivor herself, uh, went through horrors. I always want to make sure I lift up her name, uh, who was left without justice for quite some time. And the person who did that atrocious act to her raped other women eventually killing one of them. So, uh, public advocate, we've just got about a minute left. Um, in addition to raising awareness, is there anything else that your office or you can do legislatively or otherwise to get the results you're looking for here? We're trying to find out if I have jurisdiction over DA. It's a, believe more of a, of a state thing, so we're trying to really find out. But we would like either the governor to, by executive order, to appoint a uh, uh, special investigator, or the state could pass a law giving Attorney General James the ability to review these kind of cases, because right now she cannot. And so the DAs are, have such power and jurisdiction, I don't think many people understand how important they are to fixing, I shouldn't say fixing, to dealing with the issues of the criminal justice system that we see here. And so we'll hope one of those two things happen. But most of all, I sincerely hope that uh, the Manhattan DA really reconsider this. He is on the wrong side of history. I think almost everyone of good conscience, and even those who may have thought differently before, 
after learning about this case, after seeing the movie, after understanding. There's no one of good moral conscience who can say, yes, there was enough to vacate these young men and see how the facts were smushed together in a way to make it seem like there was a case when there really wasn't, who can then say, but nothing wrong happened. And we, there's a, these young men and the people who might still be in prison and the people who were raped and the young lady who died deserve this review. Maybe you review it and you find nothing else happened. That will be a blessing. But we can't ignore what we know right now. And even if there's one person languishing in jail, and what was remarkable is that he couldn't even say, I'll review it. We didn't even ask for him to do something else besides review. And that just said a lot that he couldn't even do that. And looking forward, public advocate, I think you've talked about 2021 and the mayor's race. Have you changed your mind at all based on this issue or any other issue on where you stand on that right now? Uh, you mean in terms of me running? Yeah. Uh, I plan to run for re-election as public advocate. I'm not, I don't have any desire to run right now for mayor of the city of New York. I'm, I'm actually honored that everybody keeps bringing it up, but um, I really don't. I do want to continue doing the job as public advocate and hope uh, the people of the city will give me another turn to do that, uh, assuming that I, of course, get through this general election in November. Public advocate Jumani Williams, thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz and me, Jeff Simmons, here on Driving Forces today. Thank you. What I do hope is folks will ask the mayoral candidates about where they stand uh, on this review with the Manhattan DA's office. Just wanted to put that in there. Oh, absolutely. And people can find out more about you and your work at where on Twitter? Uh, uh, at Jumani Williams uh, and, and Instagram at Williams. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Public Advocate. We really appreciate you taking the time to be with us here today on WBAI. Thank you. And I do want to point out, we didn't ask him, but I had written it down, that for anyone who does want to reach out to the Public Advocate's office, there are two ways. Uh, there's a telephone hotline at 212-669-7250. And also there's an email address called uh, gethelp at pubadvocate.nyc.gov. So now we are going to open up the lines. This is James, our engineer's favorite part. His hands are ready to just answer that phone. The, the, <laughs> the number is 212-209-2877. Let Celeste and I know what you thought of what the public advocate said, what you thought of what uh, Congressman Peter King said about the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund, or if you'd like to weigh in on other issues, whether it's about any Supreme Court decision that has come down or is expected to come down. What has taken place or has not taken place in Albany this week? Right, including the uh, legalization of uh, marijuana for recreational use did not happen. Looks or like surrogacy. They, yep, or surrogacy. You know, got, uh, got close on the marijuana issue, did not apparently get there. I think they started getting... Uh, involved in some of the other legislation regarding pot, but no legal recreational pot here in New York for the moment. How do you feel about that? Bummed out? Happy? Otherwise, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. We've been talking about the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund. Do you think the president should take a stand and uh, make it clear that money should be set aside for that that dwindling pot of funding to help people out. Uh, we also spoke to uh, public advocate Jamani Williams about his work with the uh, 
the Central Park Five, the president having some remarks about there having been people, quote unquote, on both sides of that case in which the uh, the gentlemen involved were exonerated. Just want to make that clear right here on the air. But what are your thoughts? Wow. This is a good time to remind you that if you can hear that rain <laughs> through these microphones, you might want to take a moment to call a different number, 516-620-3602, so that we can complete our beautiful new soundproof, rainproof, hopefully, studio, give to... That's a number two, WBAI.org. Give to WBAI.org to help us with our More Than Mike's campaign. Finish up that studio. We have a caller on the line. You are on BAI. What's your name and where you're from? My name is Michael. I'm from Brooklyn. Okay, Michael, what's on your mind today? Well, I just wanted to respond um, in retrospect to the conversation about the uh, Park 5. Sure. Um, I just wanted to have some kind of understanding as to going forward. We've seen just now how the possibility of other individuals may have wrongly been accused of certain situations that have gotten them incarcerated Mm -hmm. and the horrors that they go through because of it. I just would like to know going forward, is there going to be or is there now something that can be done about these prosecutors, these um, judges, um, these police officers who blatantly use their power of law to use it against individuals who are being sent to prison for wrong, you know, wrong things, being wrongly accused and coming home after many, many years, but still only thing that they have in retrospect is um, money. Well, yeah, I mean, well, to answer your question, look, I mean, is there I something... I think that these people should be held responsible uh, because they are, and I think they should be extra held responsible because they are um, upholders of the law. And to use that law to, um, you know, unjustly accuse have other individuals incarcerated, I think something should be done to them to the fullest extent of the law. Absolutely, I think that's that's absolutely true. And look, there there are uh, certainly places that you can. Uh, report if you think that you've been uh, mistreated or prosecuted unfairly or even arrested or targeted otherwise unfairly because of who you are, because of where you live, because of your zip code, because of, of the way you look. Uh, the the problem with that, obviously, is as I'm sure you are, are well aware since you answered the question, asked the question, is uh, sometimes the very same people that you're complaining about are the people you're supposed to be complaining to. And th- that makes it a-, a little more complicated. But we do see people, for example, exonerated through uh, through programs like the Innocence Project, where they use genetic DNA evidence uh, to exonerate people who have been convicted of crimes to prove that they have actually been wrongly convicted. But excellent, excellent question and certainly an important one that, that we should be talking about and that we need to be talking about a lot more because it does, it does raise a very important question about whether or not... Uh, there are a lot more people like the Central Park Five. Now, again, again, I'm not accused, not directly accusing with knowledge anybody of having pursued a, a false prosecution here, but it is legitimate, certainly beyond legitimate to ask the question. So I believe we have another caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and where are you from? How you doing there? Good afternoon. Excellent topic. This is Jay from Harlem. Hey, Jay. Very relevant so many people directly in terms of the people that were actually wrongfully convicted and accused and never convicted, mostly just pled out because of the fear 
um, and lack of representation and resources um, to defend themselves from the other side, which would have been you're facing X amount of years or this and that. They just say, you know what, I'll take this free and go. So I'm just saying um, that is just happened. It's devastated so many lives and so many communities and people's potential, uh, potential in terms of what they could have been. So I think that is something that I love Jamani and, and um, what he's doing and putting it forth and keep his stand on it. I'm certainly going to see what I can do. I mean, literally what I can do to try to add to it. And um, uh, so I'll be reaching out to him. But but I, I wanted to say also, um, mm-hmm. and I guess just piggybacking, piggybacking off of the previous caller, because okay. that's actually what I wanted to to bring to ask about too. About and um, But I want to say this to the public too, that this DA and I believe it's an elected um, office. So if he doesn't do right, we collectively can fire him. Hopefully there's some good people that's going to run, that's going to, because this can still be done if he doesn't do it later on with the next VA that comes in. You see, so this is something that needs to be um, remain on the table. And thank you for the great topic. And you have a great show. I listen to it often on when I catch it. Jay, thank you. We, I wish I wish I had a million more like you. Really, really appreciate your support and your call and your questions. And I think we have more people calling in. If you want to talk about the Central Park 5 case, if you want to talk about uh, how the Manhattan District Attorney is or is not responding to public advocate Jumani Williams on this, give us a call. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz here on Driving Forces. And you are on the air. What's your name? Where are you from? Okay, Serene calling from uh, from the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> um, Careful. Two, two things. Yeah, I know. No matter where I'm going anywhere. Um, two things. One is I, I really wish you had found another advocate other than Peter King, whose reputation precedes him, uh, to discuss the, the 9-11 compensation issue, because I think those folks deserve the ultimate care. They deserve health plans that are at least as good as the uh, Congress gets. But um, Peter King, anyway, on the other point, uh, the young man asked about what's being done to make sure this doesn't happen again. There are actually one bill that passed last year um, about prosecutors who deliberately engage in wrongful prosecutions. Um, And there's a bill called, uh, there's a, a group called Justice for the Wrongfully Incarcerated which was uh, started by Yusef Salam and his mom, Sharon Salam. And that bill is being carried in the Senate by Brian Benjamin Mm -hmm. out of Harlem. Mm -hmm. I think it's S-2074. And it did not go through this year, unfortunately. I mean, the timing is perfect for it, right, Uh, with all the attention being given. But folks should follow up. And that group normally meets uh, Saturdays, first Saturdays, except this coming one in July because it's a holiday weekend, but first Saturdays at 10 a.m. in Harlem at mm-hmm. the Mount Morris uh, Ascension Presbyterian Church near Marcus Garvey Park. Okay. So anyone who's interested in, you know, making sure that this, it's been 30 years, it's incredible, you know? It really, but, uh, it really, it really is, and uh, and uh, if people are interested in that program, then in, in that uh, in that meeting, they can check that out, and just give us the, uh, the location one more time. It's the Mount Morris Park, I'm sorry, it's the Mount Morris uh, Ascension Presbyterian Church, usually first 
Saturdays of the month at 10 a.m. You can look us up online. It's uh, Justice for the Wrongfully Incarcerated. Okay, great. Thank you so much for your call. We really do appreciate it. And uh, stay safe out there on the bridge. Now, we have a lot of people calling in right now. I hope we can get to everybody. 212-209-2877. People sound very interested to be talking today about both the Central Park 5 issue and the 9-11 Compensation Fund. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Uh, my name is Terry. I'm calling from Long Island. Hey, Terry. What's on your mind today? Well, my, my issue is is um, I have friends that are in law enforcement in different branches, but just my, my, my vision or my thought is how can you represent something and be totally absolved from it or, or um, insulated from it? If you represent the law, if you're a police officer, a DA, or, you know, a prosecutor, you should be held to certain standards that you shouldn't violate in the process of, of performing your job. Right. If, if you're a police officer and you lie, and that creates a break in someone's life where, for instance, they have to go to jail or they have to spend time away from their family unjustly, I'm talking about un- unjustly, or you're a prosecutor and you withhold information knowingly, and you cause hurt and pain to this person by sending them to jail for whatever amount of time, even if it's a day, and you do this knowingly, you have now done what you're accusing the person of doing, which is breaking the law. And if you're supposed to represent the law, you should be held highly accountable for misrepresenting the law. I think we can, I feel if you represent the law and you break the law, you should be removed immediately from your job. Well, I certainly think that we can, I think we can agree on that. And there are some questions about whether, uh, certainly whether there are enough protections in place, enough, uh, enough review processes in place to make sure that people who are engaged in, uh, say, wrongful arrests and wrongful prosecutions are, are adequate, uh, adequately dealt with. At the same time, of course, if you have, say, uh, members of the police force, these people are, uh, public servants who are in a union they have the right to representation by their union they have job protections that uh, have been negotiated with the city so uh, i wish it was as clear-cut on both sides unfortunately it can't be but i do i do take your point and we're going to come up on our next caller right now wbai you're on the air what's your name and where are you from hello uh my name is mitch i'm calling from uh from brooklyn hi mitch what's on Uh, your mind today uh i'm calling in in the same vein as the central park I'm calling you about Khalif Bryant. He was a young man who was on the... He was accused of stealing a book bag. He was 15 years old, and he was taken to Rikers Island. That's the young man who spent years and years in prison without actually receiving a proper trial. Right. Yeah. And he was... And uh, at the in three years, they let him out. No charges. Right. Something is wrong with that. And there's a move to try to eliminate cash bail or have cash bail for uh, violent offenders and people who assault other people, but for low-level offenses, the cash bail system is working backwards. I mean, poor people, yeah, all he needed was $500 to get him out of Rikers Island. His family couldn't raise that. And this is what... There's no use... 
And this is, oh yeah, and this is what has been one of the uh, criminal justice reforms that, I mean, where I live in Queens, that's been dominating that discussion, that's been discussed up in Albany as well. I feel like, I mean, we're going to be seeing, my prediction is we're going to be seeing a lot more reforms regarding cash bail, um, Mm -hmm. uh, eliminating this for low-level offenses. Right. And like uh, de Blasio is saying he's going to close down Rikers Island. Well, you know, it's going to close down. I mean, are you visiting, are you looking at the system itself and say, well, why is it that we have so many people out here on Rikers Island anyway? And cash bail is one of those reasons. For low-level offenses. Yeah, we absolutely we we do uh, see a lot of that. Unfortunately, we do see people. Uh, I actually moderated a, a discussion. Uh, Jeff helped me get set up to moderate a discussion about this not too long ago at Plymouth Church about the number of people who are spending time at places like Rikers because of simple uh, probation violations, like missing a curfew, missing a, a meeting with their officer, not making a phone call things like that this is uh do we really need to be putting people in, back into rikers and places like rikers which we are talking about closing uh for that level of infraction it's a it's a very good question and it's uh, certainly a matter of concern for for everybody in this city for a lot of reasons 212-209-2877 we have somebody on the line great wbai what's your name and where you're from Hello, my name is Gregory. I'm from Manhattan. Hey, Gregory, what are you thinking about today? Um, I'm thinking about um, really the police and the um, DA who are responsible for um, wrongfully locking up the Central Park Five and holding them personally and financially responsible uh, for the reparations to these young men. And having a law or a bill put out there turning into law to make that happen all across this nation, not just here in New York, because it's happening everywhere. Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, I think that that's a good point, and uh, this is something that people are talking about a lot more. I think that that, as Jeff pointed out, it's certainly become a, a major, major issue in the uh, Queens DA race, but it's also being talked about at the state level. Sort of the uh, the unfairness, uh, the uh, uh, the disparities and how how people are able to deal with the issue of cash bail and who ends up suffering more or less for ostensibly the the same nearly the same or even the identical charges so definitely a uh, a good a good point to bring up and I think we're going to be talking a lot more about that as Jeff said uh, as we go on to uh, to completing this round of the Queens District Attorney's race, but also right into uh, the next mayor's race, right into uh, the the next midterm races. And I could even see it being an issue that's raised consistently in the public advocates race. I mean, Jamani said this right. up in November. If anyone's challenging him, I could see that being an issue. Right. And we've talked about we've talked about this on this program when we've talked about also the closure of Rikers Island or the supposed closure of Rikers Island. Now, I can tell you as somebody who has been to Rikers Island, not as a resident, but as a visitor uh, it's not someplace you want to spend a lot of time or in fact any time and uh, the question is going to be of course where uh, where are we going to uh, incarcerate people or hold people if we close down that facility where are those are there going to be smaller sort of community uh, facilities what neighborhoods are they going to go in are they going to go in the kinds of neighborhoods where things that uh, people generally don't want like uh, you know uh, 
garbage processing facilities, marine transfer, transfer facilities, yeah. you know, uh, incinerators, uh, drug treatment facilities, these kinds of things that, that people generally maybe get concerned about having in their neighborhood, but they have to go somewhere. Uh, that's going to be the same question with Rikers. I think we have one more time for one more call. Oh, no, we don't have another we do, we we got got one we minute all, left. Oh, oh, we have one minute left. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, excuse me. Well, hey, Jeff, why don't you tell the nice people where they can find out more about today's program? So as we wrap up this episode, you should go to WBAI.org. You'll be able to find us in the archives uh, up for 90 days. But we're also, this show, we also have up on iTunes and SoundCloud. Yep, tune and in, Stitcher, everywhere you can find your uh, favorite podcasts. Stay tuned now for the evening news with Paul DiRienzo. Well, thank you, Jeff. That was nice of you. <laughs> less for me to do. <laughs> What Jeff Simmons forgot to mention is that at 6.30, we have Justice Matters with Bob Ganji, followed at 7 by Joy of Resistance with Fran Luck. Paul Lorenzo is getting it all together, and he'll be with us at the top of the hour. Laura Flanders of The Laura Flanders Show, which airs Saturdays, 6.30 p.m. here on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. The Left Forum is right around the corner, and they have generously donated weekend passes to WBAI listener supporters who make a $50 pledge in support of WBAI. I've had the pleasure of hosting many panels and plenaries at the Left Forum over the years, and I'm doing it again this time. I'll be hosting the Saturday Plenary on the 50th anniversary of Stonewall 
and a session with Chris Hedges and Rick Wolf on Lenin. So come meet me, Laura Flanders, and the others at the 2019 Left Forum and be part of a conversation about radically imagining and building a different future. Make a pledge of $50 today and lock in your free weekend pass to the Left Forum, taking place in Brooklyn June 28th through June 30th. That's the 28th through the 30th in Brooklyn. Go to give, then the numeral 2, WBAI.org. That's give to WBAI.org and search Left Forum. Thanks for your support and thanks for listening. See you at the Left Forum. Did you know that when you apply for a job, your credit history may affect your chances of getting hired? And if you already have a job, your credit history can still be used against you. That's because a growing number of employers use credit reports to make hiring and firing decisions. This practice can have a discriminatory impact on people and communities of color and unfairly block many qualified people from employment. Help end this practice by speaking up. If you or someone you know has been turned down for a job or even fired from a job, because of credit checks by an employer, please call NEDAP's Financial Justice Hotline at 212-925-4929. The New York City Financial Justice Hotline is 